Welcome to Sword and Staff. I'm your host, Josh Robinson, and joining me today, as always, is my co-host, Richie Brock. And on today's edition of the Sword and Staff, Richie and I are going to be venturing into a topic that we've never discussed before. We wanted to start off the new year with a bang, and we wanted to start the new year by branching out into things that we've never branched out into before. I mean, you and I have had these conversations, yeah. and this is really how Sword and Staff kind of started. Um, but we wanted to start the year off by talking about the topic of masculinity and manhood, right? And so that's the topic that we've never talked about before, right? Everybody uh, probably thinks of us as the guys who talk about the supernatural stuff, yep. right? The paranormal yep. stuff and, you know, that kind of thing. So, but, uh, so which probably needs a little bit of explanation, like why it is that we wanted to start off the new year with a series talking about masculinity and manhood right like why why is it that sword and staff would would want to start the new year off with with this and maybe that would be a good opportunity for you to just kind of talk about just kind of how sword and staff came together and some of the things that we kind of talked about you know uh you know coming in you know that kind of thing to sword and staff and how it's kind of branched out into other things but how we wanted to just kind of start this year off kind of back here at the core i guess um sword and staff sort of started out as you and I trying to start a men's sort of accountability group. Like we've seen uh, the results of fatherlessness and things like that in society and uh, men striving for something to live towards. And we wanted to kind of build a structure around that. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, whenever we first started talking, like you said, it was really around the topic of, of this, we wanted Sword and Staff to initially be kind of like a, a men's group, that kind of thing, and obviously it's branched into way more than that yeah. now. But uh, here's what I would say: I, I would say that Sword and Staff is not a one-trick pony. <laughs> uh, as a pastor, I'm kind of a generalist. Okay, like I'm not a specialist really of anything. Um, I'm kind of a generalist, and being a pastor makes me to have to be a, a generalist um, because I preach various sermons on different types, different types of topics, and from different texts in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, which ha- equals different types of application, which means that I have to be a type of generalist in my approach. And so um, so uh, I say that to say this. Um, Sword and Staff, our mission is to remythologize all of life from a Christian perspective, right? And in 2021, 20, uh, we spent the majority of our time uh, looking at the supernatural, paranormal world and kind of remythologizing that world from a Christian perspective. And don't get me wrong, we're going to continue to do that in 2022. But this year we wanted to start off by talking about an area that not a lot of people were talking about, right. which is the area of masculinity and manhood. Okay. Um, so now with that being said, I can also see our ladies, the ladies, no, the, boy. the women yep. listeners who love Sword and Staff, I can see them tuning out already they're like okay they're going to talk about something that's not related to me so i'll show up pretty sure one of our first patron was a woman a woman yeah yeah Yeah, it was and so i can see our women you know saying oh no you know we we don't want to you know listen to uh you know two guys talking about masculinity but I, i think that if you're a woman and you're listening that this series would actually be really still yet beneficial to you. And there's a couple of reasons why. Um, and the first is if you're a mother and if you have sons, these are things that are going to be helpful for you in raising that son, right? 
Um, and not only that, but we will touch on the topics of femininity because some of what we have to say does touch on some of that as well, even though our main focus is going to be masculinity. So it's not going to be entirely uh, irrelevant for you if you're a female listener uh, listening during uh, this series, right? And so I don't know if you got anything that you want to add to that. but Not that yeah. too much wraps it up. Okay. All right. So in order to start today's conversation, and this is just going to kind of be a brief overview of what we're going to be talking about. Uh, in this series. We're going to dive deeper into it in the coming weeks. But let's let's just frame the conversation with the problem. Why why does Sword and Staff, why do we need to talk about masculinity? Why do you think that this conversation is necessary? Um, just just our interactions with people who are in our in our circles and the day-to-day things that we've talked about with them like even at work interacting with people around us, just the men that in our lives definitely need things like this. Yeah. Well, I think that that's absolutely spot on. And, and here's the reality. Um, as a pastor, this is something that I might be more acutely aware of than maybe most people. But we are living in an age of fatherlessness. Yep. Right? Um, we are living in an age that is uh, filled with things like divorce um, and fathers not being involved in the lives of their children, dads being passive, men being passive, um, all those types of things. And as a pastor, I would say that my primary work has become uh, being a spiritual father to men. Like, I mean, that's what a being a pastor is. You know, Paul, whenever he's talking to Timothy, he says that, you know, he, Timothy is his son in the faith. And it's the same thing with, um, oh, goodness, I done forgot his name. <laughs> uh, Philemon. Uh, he, Philemon, in the letter, he has a, a servant who, who uh, gets, you know, who runs away from him and, in Philemon, Paul says, I think it's a Epaphroditus is his name. Um, could be wrong on that. I have to go back and check. But anyway, he says that uh, he visited Paul in prison. And whenever he did that, he be- Paul became his father in the faith. And he became his son. So, you know, my work is primarily that. It's primarily being a spiritual father to all sorts of people. And the reality is this, is that the majority of the people in our congregation who are, you know, about my age, you know, they're, you know, they're in their 30s and you know our congregation's weird like it's, no, it's congregation's our congregation's weird, weird. like it, it's primarily from the ages of 20 to i would say 40 like in that age range is the yep. primary demographic now we got people who are older than than that we have people who are younger than that we've got a lot of kids but the primary demographic is in that that range so but the majority of the people that i talk to both male and female come from homes that were broken yep and who either were uh, abused by their father or their father died um, or he just was there, but he wasn't involved. <clears throat> yeah. right? And so, I mean, it's so common. And because of that, um, a lot of people are feel lost. They feel like they don't have any direction in life. They didn't have a father to, to pass down wisdom or to help teach them about life or teach them about dealing with hardship or or if they or if they were alive then they just and there's there's a war on that kind of thinking right now in, in society and culture yeah right so you've got the entire to- you know conversations going on in culture right now about toxic masculinity and yep. what exactly that entails and what exactly is toxic and unfortunately a lot of what is just biblical masculinity has been lumped into the category of toxic masculinity and 
we want to we want to have a conversation about that, and we want to uh, talk about this area of life from a distinctly Christian perspective, like we have other areas in the past. So that's kind of why we're having this conversation. It, it's it's something that's come up in our lives more and more um, as we've talked to listeners, especially especially guys. And that's I guess that's just where I'm at right now as a pastor too. Um, you know, is discipling men, and so we want to have a conversation on that and. It will be relevant, I promise you. Like, I know that that's a total change of pace, yeah. right? Like, but I promise you, it will. we think that it will be helpful, and we think that it will help to kind of remythologize this way of viewing this topic in a way that perhaps you've never thought about before. And I think that if, if people stick it out and listen to this series— um, yeah, I was going to say it's going to be a series. Yeah, it's going to be a series. I, I think there will be a lot of wholeness and balance that comes as a result of it, so— I don't know if you got anything you want to add to that, but I mean, going back to the the foundations of sword and staff. I mean, it's even in our our symbolism, like even in our uh, graphics and things that we've made. Right. Yeah, the sword is is a weapon of of war, right? Like it's it's uh, depicting the uh, hard masculine virtues. It was archetypes. a way to to boil down the, the archetypes. You have the yeah. the king and the warrior under the sword, and then the magician lover under the staff. Yeah. Right which we're going to talk some more about the archetypes uh, in this episode, kind of give an overview of them. Yep. But, but that's exactly what it is. Um, the, you know, the sword is kind of like the hard masculine archetypes and virtues, and then the staff are kind of the softer masculine archetypes and, and virtues. And that may, like, that may sound weird to people, right? Like yeah. to hear, like, soft? Like, yeah, you hear people say, oh, you have a feminine side. That's not what we're saying. No, no, no. not even remotely what we're saying. But um, uh, men, men, there has to be a balance, right? As men, we're called to not just be lions, but also like lambs, lamb-like, right? So there, there is a balance uh, between between that. So right. Um, all right. Well, so I, I think that that gets us started. So let's give an overview of the archetypes, and we'll tie this into for our, our listeners who are Christian. We'll tie these into biblical theology a little bit later on into today's episode. But let's kind of start off with the archetypes. All right. So let's start off with the warrior. So, so what exactly is the warrior archetype? And we'll talk about where some of these show up in different kinds of stories. And we'll talk about the shadow version of them, too. So I don't know if you want to just kind of give just a, what I mean, pretty self-explanatory, but, yeah. but you go ahead. But where do you want to jump in at it? We'll jump like, in with right the, off, the, warrior, right off the bat. warrior archetype. Like, is there a certain aspect you want to focus on with that first? Oh, just just talk about the the archetype, just kind of an overview of it. What is it like? What does it mean to be a warrior? That kind of thing. It's just strength and standing up for your beliefs and protecting your family, your your the people in your orbit, in your circles, um, to be courageous. Yeah, those sort of aspects. Yeah, I think that that's good. I mean, you know. <laughs> Like I said, it's 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 pretty much self-explanatory. You know what I mean? Um, a warrior is someone who's not afraid to fight. Right. Uh, a warrior is someone who's <clears throat> not afraid uh, to to stand up for what they believe in. Right. I mean, uh, we see this archetype depicted so well in movies. Right. And uh, you know, for example, uh, Lord of the Rings. Let's talk about Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, before Aragorn becomes the king. In Return of the King, uh, he's kind of the warrior 
in some ways, right? Now, he, he's got some more stuff going on, but he's the strider. Yeah, the strider, so this loner warrior in he's the this, wild there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And he's not, afraid to, he's not afraid to pick up the sword. He's not afraid to go to battle with anybody, right? Um, and so that's, that's it, right? Now, some of the uh, – the, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the shadow, right? So the, uh, the shadow to that is that um, for the warrior – what you got to watch out for is is what you're going to battle over and for. Right. Yeah, you you might be tempted to kind of become like a, you know, uh kind of like a sadist or a masochist, you know, something like that. Uh where you love the the battle, right? right yeah. Um <clears throat> you know, it's it's not just that you're willing to to fight and to be strong, but you're out there looking and you're in, you're trying to uh, intimidate people. You're trying to be a bully, right? Right. Uh, that's not masculinity, right? That's the shadow version of of this archetype, right? So um, a, a true warrior, right? Somebody who is embodying this type of archetype, or you know what? A better way to say it would probably be an ideal, embodying this this ideal um, is someone who is courageous, and not just courageous, but who is who is focused on uh, justice, right? They're not out there trying to be intimidating to people or trying to bully people. They're standing up for the little guy. Yeah. You know? it, it, the warrior in, in, right, <clears throat> in right standing reminds me of this quote by... Yeah, from Tolkien. Tolkien. It says, I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for his glory. I love only that which they defend. Yep. Yeah. And I think that that's good. You know, uh, a warrior is someone who is willing to lay down his life for his family, right, or for his his friends or his country. Those types of things. Like, I, like in saying that, you know, I'm thinking of, of men in the military, right? They're they're men and women in the the the, the you know the military. Even you know, uh, women embody this in some ways in what could be called the maiden. You know, that kind of thing. So. A picture of this is also here we go, uh, Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. Where uh, you know Eowyn, 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 you know she's willing to fight for her her loved ones, um, and that's not uh, there's nothing anti-feminine about that, right? A woman who knows how to defend herself that's not just a masculine thing. I mean, think about it. Like I, I'm a dad, right? And one of the things that we teach our daughters is how to defend themselves because that might be a skill that they need one day. Right, somebody might try to attack them, or or to take advantage of them, or to kidnap them, or something like that. So, um, so they need to learn how to be able to do that as well, right? So it's not just a women can also embody these ideals too in a way that's distinctly feminine, but for a for a man, that's what it looks like, right? You're willing right. to lay down your life, and like I'm like again, I'm thinking of the military, right? People who are willing to go and to lay down their life on behalf of others who are a part of their country against foreign terrorists, that kind of thing, right? That is an, that is an, an art, what a, uh, that is what that archetype or that ideal looks like. Yeah. And <clears throat> with it fractured and being isolated and being that too much of a focus, that's where you get the, the sort of the love of war for war and not for what it defends. Yeah. You become the war hawk. Yeah. You know, that kind that's of why it's so important to have the other archetypes in balance. Yeah. It backs it up. Yeah. You need an ideal that's more than just the warrior. Right. And so that leads us to the next one, which is the lover. Now, you can tell right off the bat that one is much softer than the warrior. Right. 
Right. So let's talk about the lover. So what exactly is the lover? Well, again, it's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Um, These are your poets, your artists, your the, the softer moon-like virtues. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I'm you know I think I read a book a while back, and we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, you know a little bit more. It's called Fathered by God by John Eldridge, and he talks about the the lover archetype. And he talks about that this is the the phase in the man's life when he becomes aware of women. <laughs> or not just that, but he, he begins to write poetry about the beauty of a woman or, or that kind of thing, right? And that's ultimately that's what the lover archetype is. Now, there's also uh, a type of friendship love, in, which is encompassed in this as well, like C.S. Ruiz. Uh, C.S. Ruiz. C.S. Ruiz. C.S. C.S. Lewis talks about in his book, The Four Loves, that there are four kinds of loves, right? So there is um, a friendship love, right, which is between friends. You know, uh, there's, there's that type of thing. And then there's also affectionate love, which is the type of love that one has for their children or a family member. Then there's romantic love, which is between lovers. And then there is agape or charity, which is the type of love that God has for us. Right, so there's those four types of loves, and the lover is someone who embodies those types of four loves within themselves. Right, there's someone who who loves their friends, uh, who loves their family, who loves their children, who loves their their uh, lover, right, your your husband or your wife, whatever, um, and who loves God. Right, that that is what the lover archetype is, and a lot of times, like we we're saying, that expresses itself in things like art, like music in poetry, uh, in stories, right? Some of the greatest, I mean, just go out, I mean, think think about, right off the bat, uh, a poem that we all know right off the top of our head. Roses are red, violets are blue. Oh, boy. Right? Yep. Think about that. What is that? That's art. It's yep. poetry. But it's about, it's about uh, the sweetness of someone else, the person's lover, right? That is the embodiment of the lover archetype, right? And so, you know, just where do you think we see this in, in you know, some stories and some films? Who are somebody, uh, some people who who embody this this principle or this ideal or this archetype? I mean, we might as well just give up and default to Lord of the Rings because that's what we do. <laughs> and you you see it with uh, the relationship between Aragorn and Arwen. Ar- Aragorn is, uh, he really does, they do a great job of him, uh, him embodying all these ideals in right, himself. Yeah. Right. Um, so we see Especially that. Especially as this character develops, you see him like the strength kind of balance out. Yeah. You know, as, as uh, the story goes along, you, you see that he's not just a strider, he's not just a warrior, right? But he's also a lover, right? He's, he's with Arwen, who's an elf, and, uh, and they have this very romantic, uh, enchanting type of love. Right, yeah, and he's descended from the elves, and and they're part of his kin, so he has that magician sort of aspect in him as well. Yeah, which we'll get to that a little bit more. But um, you know, I I think that you can see the friendship love embodied in Frodo and Sam. Right, I mean they're they're willing to go to war together. Uh, they hold one another accountable. Right, that kind of thing. They care about each other. There's nothing homosexual or weird about that. Yeah. Right. Um, which, which uh, you know, I think that in our culture today, uh, close friendship is kind of a thing that's looked down upon in our culture, right? Especially between men. 
Um, you know, it's and it's because we've we've sexualized everything as a culture. Uh, you know, everything is is hyper sexualized right now. Oh yeah. And so you know, it's like we go back. You, I mean, you see this specifically in people uh, having conversations right now talking about was Sam and Frodo gay. Yeah. Right. I, I saw that. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it's it's out there. Um, and it's because we've hypersexualized things, and we don't have a uh, a category for friendship love anymore. We've confused friendship. I was going to say people don't know what friendship is anymore. We've confused friendship love, Lewis's friendship love, with romantic love. Right. We've, and it's we as as Westerners, uh, well, modern Westerners, we have one category for love. I was going to say it's a, a it's love crisis. Rom- it's yep. a romantic love. Yep. Right. We that's the only category we have for love. And because of that, we are malnourished with love whenever it comes to love and being lovers ourselves. So this is an archetype we don't embody very well, <laughs> right? And so, but this if is we some, do, it's usually disordered. Yeah, it is. It's usually disordered. So this is a, a an ideal that men need to have. They need to be able to see the Aragorn loving the woman in a tender way. He needs to be able to look at uh, Sam and Frodo who are friends, who care for one another, and he needs to be able to have those ideals to look to, okay? Um, now, let's talk about the shadow archetype of, of that. Um, there, are, there is a, a dark side to, to this archetype and to this ideal, if we're not careful. And basically what that is is the addicted lover is one of them, right? Whenever you love the wrong things right. and you love things that will hurt you, like you see this all the time in abusive relationships, right? This person is addicted to the other one like a drug, and it's only hurting them. Or you could actually love drugs or alcohol or, or those things in a way that's uh, not healthy, and that could lead uh, lead to harm, right? That's one part of uh, the shadow of this ideal or this arch- uh, archetype. And the other one is the the impotent lover, the one who just feels like they can't measure up. Like constantly, just feels like they're not measuring up, and then they're insecure about it, right? Like, right. hey, am I being a good friend? Or, hey, do you really like me? That kind of thing. That's the impotent lover. It's the shadow version of the lover. So, I don't know if you got anything to add to that one before we move on to the next one. As an overview, I think that was pretty good. Yeah. So the next one <clears throat> is the magician. Now, this one's going to be fun to talk about. So the magician. Uh, is someone, John Eldridge calls it the sage. The sage, yeah. The sage. And whenever you hear that, uh, you should be thinking of the old, white-headed, bearded man who's very wise, like your grandfather, right? Um, Or somebody somebody who's called an old soul. Or Richie, not far off. He just found gray hair in his (laughs) hair, like literally three days ago, and and I'm about to have a midlife crisis. Pop all Richie. Pop all Richie. Oh. But um, but this is someone who is who is very wise, right? Someone um, who who's not just a warrior and willing to go down, but they're they're a strategist, right? They they're a thinker, right? They're thinking about the strategies. Like, okay, if we go to war, then we're going to have to attack here, here, and here. Very philosophical. Ponders the big questions. That's right. Most magicians are people who are who are focused on philosophy. Uh, theology, those types of things, the deep mysteries of the yeah, world. The thinking is very multiple, multi, multi-dimensional. Yeah. No, as a woman, you could you could embody this as well, right? Because women, these n- none of these things are distinctly, uh, you know, 
none of these things are only uh, related to to men. Right, women, there's a, a feminine counterpart to that's, it. That's that's exactly right. Just like uh, with the warrior, there's the maiden, right? And uh, we'll talk about the king next, and the, the opposite of that, and the feminine the feminine version is the queen. Right. Um, but for the for the uh, the magician though, it's somebody who is they're uh, they're very focused on the the deep things, right? They're the wisdom, those types of things. Very spiritually minded. Very spiritual, right? And now, um, somebody who who is depicted on this. Let's go back to Lord of the Rings. Right off the bat, who's the magician? It's Gandalf. Gandalf. Gandalf Stormcrow. <laughs> <laughs> Gandalf Stormcrow. Yeah. Uh, but Gandalf, he's the magician, right? He's the he's the mentor, right? A lot of times, the the magician is the mentor in the hero's journey, right? So not just let's step outside of Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. Who's the magician there? Obi Wan Kenobi. After Obi Wan dies, who's who's the magician then? Master Yoda, right? So the and who who are these people? They're that very wise character who is who comes alongside of you, mentors you, and introduces you to the deep things. Were you world. Disney fans, Rafiki? Right? Yeah, like the Lion, Lion King. King. It's Rafiki. Right? Follow Rafiki. He knows the way. Right? Yep. King Arthur and Merlin. Merlin. Yep. Merlin. Right. That's exactly right. Uh, Harry Potter. Right. Dumbledore. 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 He's he's the ma- the magician. Lit- quite literally. Yeah. Um, these these are this what they do. They 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 come alongside of people. They mentor them. They lead them on the hero's journey, and they lead them into the the depths of that 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 God has. Right. And so that's the magician. Now, just like the 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 warrior and the lover. There's a dark side to the magician as well. The first one is the detached manipulator. Now, you see this one really well in um, Scar in Lion King. Yep. Right? So he's kind of like this anti, uh, anti, uh, oh gosh, <laughs> Mustafa. Mufasa, yeah. yeah. Mufasa. Why did I say Mustafa? I'm thinking of like James Bond or Austin Powers <laughs> or something. I don't know. Mufasa. Mufasa. He is like the anti one. Like, yeah. uh, he's Mufasa is a king, right? And he's very uh, he's he's not detached. He's he's active in the for good in the lives of those who he's involved in. But um, Scar is this detached manipulator. He's kind of behind the scenes. He's detached from the people, and all, he's focused on no loyalty but to himself. That's right. No loyalty but to himself, and the only thing that he cares about about the other people is how he can manipulate them for his own gain. Right. Or his own power. Um, you know, uh, a great, uh, you know, Saruman. A, that's exactly what I was about to say. Saruman yep. is, is an example of this. He becomes this, the shadow magician. The, and he goes from literally being the white wizard, the head of the Astari order to yeah. being this shadow magician and try to even convince Gandalf to join him. Yep. That's right. And then the other one is the innocent one. Which is you try to become like this, uh, it's kind of like being this victim in some way, right? Like you're innocent, like you, you know, you, that kind of thing. And so, but the one that you mainly see, though, is the, the detached manipulator. Really, you, this the one you see in films a lot, you know, especially with, with Saruman. And, um, you know, you could even say that Sauron in some ways is, is that. He's kind of, he doesn't really care about those who are really under his control. Right, his, just, his whole deception with the rings of power is, is absolutely that detached manipulation there. Mm-hmm. That's right. All right, so the next one, the last one that we're going to cover in this series, 
is the king, right? And so the king is very self-explanatory like the rest of these. Um, the king is someone who is who rules over what they have, right? But that's, also the king is sort of the base of operations for the others to that's right. flow from. That's right. And so it's kind of it's kind of the embodiment of the others, right? Right. The king is wise, right? Um, you know, you're thinking of King Solomon, right? Um, the king is wise, and not only is he wise, but he he also is a warrior. I mean, think so. Let's go to Lord of the Rings here. Aragorn, he's the strider, right? He's the warrior, and then he becomes, he's the lover, right? And he's he also is growing in wisdom as the series goes along, and then he grows into the king in Return of the King, right? And so he's kind of embodying all of these things in himself. And so a king is someone who, who's the primary thing that they do is they bring order, and they bless those who are uh, their subordinates. Right. Uh, we tend to think of as Americans in particular. One thing though, <clears throat> with the Lord of the Rings, there mm-hmm. it reminded me of a scene with uh, Boromir and Aragorn when they're looking at the the broken blade. Yeah. Uh, Boromir says it's nothing but a broken anvil, but. Aragorn has this reverence for it and bows to it and puts it back on its on its display. Yeah, he knows the deeper meaning and things behind it. That's great. Yeah, he so he's kind of embodying the, the magician there, right? And him descended from uh, the elves too, you know, right. in, the, in the Numenorians, right? He's he's got all of that. In and there. Boromir is somebody that's really just lacks yeah. that yeah. in a huge way. Yep. And so, um, but the primary functions of this this king ideal or archetype is basically um, to bring order and blessing, right? So a king is someone who structures and orders the kingdom. He tells you where the where the kingdom is and what is not the kingdom. So I'm thinking of the Lion King, right? He's got uh, Mufasa. Everything the light touches. Everything the light touches yep. is our kingdom. But there, you must not go there. Yep. Right? That's, that's order, right? Um, you know, uh, and then blessing is, again, Aragorn. What's the first thing Aragorn does after he's enthroned as king? It's not to rule with an iron fist, and it's not to dictate or to become a tyrant. He walks to the hobbits, and he blesses them. And bows to them. And bows to them. Right? That's what the king looks like. Right? Someone who is, who is, the ego has been set aside. Right, and you are willing to acknowledge and to bless others and the good that is within them. Yeah, and he takes that power that he's given as as uh, literally high king of Middle Earth at this point with the elves leaving, yeah. and he delegates it to the others in his company. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, um, you know other others. Uh, you know, depictions of this. Um, king Arthur, right? King Arthur is is this. Um, I'm trying to think of some others too. You know, later on. Uh, you know, Luke is going to battle Vader, who's kind of the shadow of this version, uh, of this archetype, um, which, you know, takes us into this. The the shadows of this are the tyrant and the weakling. So the tyrant's very, very self-explanatory. We've all seen tyrants, right? That's why most of us are afraid of kings in America, because we've only seen the tyrant, right? Right. And that's the person who, who, who brings uh, chaos, right? And just do, is just there to to execute their own will. They don't care about anything else. And then um, the other one on the other side is the weakling. Those two right there remind me of uh, the master of Lake Town. Yeah. And uh, what's what's his little henchman that runs around? Uh, uh, 
I can't remember. He, he even uh, tries to dress up like a woman to hide to keep from going to battle. That's right. That's it. That's uh, the weakling. Gosh, I can't think of his name right off the top of my head. I, I can't either. Um, you know, uh, in, even in The Hobbit, um, you know, uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on names today. Yeah. Uh, Thorin. Thorin, uh, he becomes a shadow king. You know, at some point, right? He comes under the sickness of of the dragon, right? And so he becomes a kind of a mixture of the tyrant and the weakling, right? So you see him, and he becomes this tyrant. He's like, I won't part with a single piece of this treasure that I have. Like that, it's a distorted love, then shifted towards the gold and and riches. Yep, yep. And then he kind of becomes this weakling, like he's like, somebody's betrayed me within my own, you know. Yep. And uh, you know, you really see this one though in Denethor. Denethor is majorly the weakling. Um, he's he's a, a petty tyrant in some ways, but also he knows he's not the real king. Um, and because of that, he's this kind of weakling. He doesn't want anything about Aragorn mentioned, you know, that kind of thing. So He's uh, literally like a, a sort of a, a laughable version of Aragorn because he's even a shadow magician, even in the books. He, yeah. he contends with Sauron. He uses one of the, the Palantir stones yeah. to look into Sauron's mind. And there's, I mean... That's something that Saruman can't even do, but somehow Denethor ends up doing that. So he has sort of all the raw potential to yeah. be great, but it's all in shadow. Yeah, and so um, so that's the 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 archetypes or the ideals, and their shadows. So now for the Christians that are like they're probably like listening, like oh that's that's cool, but where's this in scripture? <laughs> you know, like because we're talking about remythologizing all of life from a Christian perspective. So let's let's talk about some of you this. You want to know what a fullness in these archetypes looks like? Look at Jesus. Yeah. It, Absolutely. I mean, really, you can look to the life of Jesus, and you can see all of these archetypes at work. Which is something that's even Tolkien was trying to show you with, with the character of Aragorn. That's exactly right. He's a type of Christ. Right. Um, and so Christ is the warrior. Right? So think about it. Right? There's there's tax collectors in the temp, in the temple. Right, and they've turned uh, the father's house into a, a a den of robbers. What does Jesus do? Like a warrior, he goes in there and he flips over. No, the Christ bears bears the sword, and he's the shepherd. He carries the That's staff. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. So he goes in there, and in this moment, what's he do? He in righteous anger, not bullying, not uh, shadow anger. He flips over the tables, and he he chases them out with a whip. Right? Jesus is a warrior. Yeah. Okay? That's not a Jesus that many of us have. Why? Because we have an unbalanced view of what masculinity, healthy masculinity, looks like in the modern West. I think a lot of people get are sort of kind of blanking on that, Jesus being a warrior. I mean, they, they focus on his life as the sacrificial lamb of God. But well, they're like, coming oh, he's back. the lion. He's the lion. Right. He's coming back a warrior. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you see, you know, Revelation... 20 or revelation 19 jesus is the the white rider on the white horse with the sword of his mouth going forth conquering the nations right and he's coming back with a robe dipped in blood right jesus is a warrior okay we even sort of talked about this in the harrowing of hell when we talked about the underworld that's we did talk about that and the reason why most of us don't have that picture of jesus was because our, our well, first we're not informed by scripture, but because mainly um, we have been feminized and we have been given this picture of a weak, needy, feminine Jesus, right? Who is not the real Jesus? Like even I think you see that portrayed in like movies and like 
art that reflects Jesus. I mean, you see him as this sort of scrawny, this weak kind of. Yeah. That's right. Right. That's right. You know, and Jesus, his his uh, earthly father, Joseph, his stepfather, was a carpenter. Uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus, they they worked with their hands. Right. Right. So Jesus would have would have been a a man who knew how to work with his hand. He would have been competent. Right. And, you know, whenever a very labor intensive, right, skill, very right. labor intensive. That's exactly right. And so uh, Jesus was a warrior. Now, the next thing that we see Jesus embody perfectly par excellence <laughs> is is the lover. Yep. Now, here's the interesting. Thing. Jesus never had a wife. Never had a wife. But we do see that he loves his. Friends. Sorry, Dan Brown. Jesus so, never had a, a wife. Right. Sorry, Dan Brown. Not sorry. Um, but So Jesus never has a wife, but yet Jesus is the perfect lover. How? It's the way that he loved his friends and the way that he loved right. his people. Right. J- Jesus says there's no love greater than this, that when a man is willing to lay down his life for his friends. Right. Jesus, like you look at Sam and Frodo and, and you see the, the, the friendship love that they have. Jesus had a greater friendship love for his friends than that. Right. It doesn't mean that it was mushier or anything like right. that. But it, it he 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 doesn't buy into this modern notion that friendship love between men is something that's gay. Right. You know, Jesus loved his friends so much so that he was willing to lay his life down for them. And that's what masculinity looks like there. Like what it looks like for a man to embody this type of love. So yeah, Jesus literally sets the standard for ordered love. That's right. I mean, you see it all through Scripture. Yeah, and you know, not all. And Jesus doesn't fall into the shadows, right? Right. Jesus doesn't sin, so he doesn't love disordered things, and he's not the impotent lover. Always like Peter, do you really? Am I really your friend, buddy? John, do, are you, you know you're my best friend, but am I yours? You right. know that kind of thing. That doesn't happen, and and so. Yeah, so that's what it looks. Jesus models for us the lover well in a way that most of us have have never you know thought. You know, we Jesus does have the the relationship also with his bride, right? He lays down his life for his bride, right? And so that's what it looks like also for husbands to do that. We love our right. our wives in a self sacrificial way, not just being willing to die um, for them, but also dying daily to ourselves. So that we can we can lead them well. There, you know, there's so many times as a husband, it would just be so. For example, we have a daughter, um, and she. Whenever you're, people who have kids know what I'm talking about here. Um, you can't multitask, right? Right. You can't multitask when you have a four year old. I've in front seen of you. this in person. Right. You can't yep. multitask when you've got a four year old in front of you. Um, so it would be so easy for me to just zone out and just have my phone in front of my face and just be passive and not engage my daughter and let my wife be the one to play with her. But ultimately, at the end of the day, that's not loving. That's not being a good lover. That's not loving my daughter well, nor is it loving my wife well, shirking my responsibilities to her. Right. So to be a man who is a lover, it means that we die to ourselves, our desires to want to to put these things in front of our face and to keep these things to, so we don't have to be engaged. It looks like putting these things down so that we can love the people in our lives well. That's what it looks like to be a lover, good lover. It's not just this sexual thing. Right. Because you hear good lover and the first thing that you think about is just this primarily sexual thing. There is a sexual component to it. Yeah. But 
it's more than that. Jesus never had a wife, so there is no sexual component to it in Jesus' life, right? So, all right. That's going to be mind-blowing, I think, to people. Yeah. Honestly. Especially when we dive into that as a as a focus on an episode. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, the magician, or the sage. How is Jesus the sage? His Je- priestly aspect. He's got this this priestly thing going on. He has communion with the Father. Right. Him and the Father are one. And because of that, Jesus is he's this hypostatic union of man and God. Right. And because of that, Jesus within him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says that. If there's anybody that embodies depth and mystery, yeah. it's him. That's right. Um you know, we think of wisdom and sage likeness and we immediately think of Solomon. Right. Jesus says, Behold, one greater than Solomon is here in reference to himself. So Jesus is this great uh, sage who has wisdom to give. Um, and he doesn't fall in. He's not a detached manipulator. Jesus never manipulated anyone in his life. He was never detached. He was always engaged. He was always, Jesus was never going to be the kind of guy who was just sitting here with his phone in front of his face not listening to you. Which is shocking for us to think about. Yep. <laughs> right? Um, so, that's how Jesus, uh, pretty simple on that one. Now, this one's even simpler. Jesus is the king. Right. This is what scripture means by Jesus is Lord. Lord means king. So, how is Jesus king? Jesus died. He lives the perfect life we should have lived. He dies in our place. He rises again. And what's he do after he rises again? He ascends to the right hand of the Father. And there he is seated as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, ruling and reigning putting his enemies under his feet. Jesus is the greater Aragorn. Jesus right. is the is the king. And how does what does Jesus do? Is Jesus a tyrant there? No. Is Jesus a uh, a petty king who is uh you know afraid and and uh you know that kind of thing? No. Jesus is gracious. And he blesses those who don't deserve it, us. And not only that, but he shares his rule and his reign with us. What's he tell us to do? As his disciples, he tells us to go into the nations and make disciples, right? And not only that, but he, he so he gives us this mission. We get to partake and participate in his mission as king, his rule over the nations, in reclaiming the nations. But we also, um, we become... We get a new identity, a re-mythologized identity, and this is how this is relevant. Um, we become sons of God in Christ, right? We, uh, you know, John in Revelation says it this way. He says that we, the church, those who are united to Jesus, have become a kingdom and priesthood in him. So we're kings like him. We're ruling and reigning with him. Right. And then we're also priests standing between heaven and God, mediating on behalf of uh, people. So this is how Jesus fulfills all of these ideals or archetypes in himself. And this is why Jesus is the greatest of all archetypes. Or, or the re- This is the, better yet, this is the reason why Jesus is the greatest of all ideals to look to. Right. Now, some people may not know what an ideal is. They may be hearing us say that. An ideal is simply something that you look to to imitate, right? Um, everybody has an ideal. 
everybody wants to be like somebody. Like growing up, right? Like I was into Star Wars. And I wanted to be like Luke Skywalker. Okay, that's an ideal. Someone you look up to, that you imitate, and that you want to be like. Jesus is the greatest ideal to look to. Why? Because he's not just warrior. He's not just lover. He's not just magician. He's not just king. He is all of those things. And he is all of those things par excellence perfectly. So this is how these things relate to Christianity. And this gives us a model for what it looks like to be a whole man. Right. Think about it. Jesus wasn't just the warrior. He was also the lover, right? Jesus has the this this hard side, these hard masculine virtues. Like he had a wholeness in all of these at once. That's right. But then he also, on the other side, has these softer masculine virtues right. as well, right? And so as men, we need to be able to imitate that, right? And this Because that's what it looks like to be a man who is whole. So, so many of us are focused on the hard virtues, which are good. We need those. You need right. to be a warrior, and you need to be a king leading your home. But right. you need to carry the sword well. You need to carry the sword well. But you need to also bear the staff. That's right. But you also need to be the lover. Right. Right. And you also need to be the one who can be there to God and be a sage to others. And not like one of the things that I, I've seen a lot, and this uh, really hurts uh, children, is you have those fathers who are only hard. Right? Focused on the king, but he's the he's the shadow version. He's the tyrant. And he's the warrior, and he's, he just loves to, to, to argue. And what happens is that usually ends up making children passive. Right? It makes the, you, they're like, okay, I can't do anything right. Right. And so what do they do? They just stop trying. Right? They just stop trying. And because of that, what they end up doing is they become passive, and they don't try anymore. And that leads it, it leads to a to children who are no longer whole, right? Children who are the weakling rather than growing into the warrior. So it's very important that we get these things right. Now, obviously, the the, the female version of the the king was the queen. We didn't touch on that. And so for a female, it, it looks the same, right? You don't want to be the one who is a tyrant over your home. Right, the biblical position is that the wife submits to the husband, who is who is the king. Right, but but you're reigning with him. Right, you're ruling with him. You're the queen. Right, and so you're working together. It's not one against the other. Right, it's there's this wholeness here. Um. So so yeah. Um. That's anyway. I figured I'd throw that in there as a side note, because I forgot to touch on it. But, yeah. But anyway. But uh. But yeah, we need to be able to model these things well as men. And that's what this series is going to be focused on. It's going to be focused on um, embodying these things well. It's going to be focused on uh, what we're going to do is we're going to do an episode on each one of these ideals or these archetypes, and we're going to flush them out in a little bit more detail than we did today. I mean, today we gave an overview of them, but we're going to dive a little bit deeper into them, and then we're going to get practical on what it looks like to embody that ideal in your life, right? What does it look like to be a a good warrior? Now, it's hard for us to speak on that from a to, from a female perspective, right? Um, but some of what we say will be applicable. Um, but what does it look like to be a good lover? What does it look like to be a good sage or, or magician? What does it look like to be a good king? And at the end of this thing, what I think is going to happen is all of us are going to come out. 
with a fuller version of what it looks like to live the good life, what it looks like to be a man, and what it looks like to be uh, a man that that's walking with God uh, for the good for the good of others. So, right, and to, and to have balance. I mean, to have uh, fullness in one is is great, but it 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 tends to make you a shadow version in the others. I mean, you have to have them all in balance. So that's definitely something as a goal for this series. That's right. That's right. And so, again, this is something for us that we've been talking about for years in private that we've not talked about, right? I mean, we've been having conversations. We could probably talk about this stuff in our sleep. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there there are conversations going on in the Christian world right now about masculinity. And, you know, um, Michael Foster has just released a book called it's a Non-Tenant. They've released a book from Canon Press called It's Good to Be a Man. And uh, it's a conversation that's everywhere, especially with culture attacking masculinity and the patriarchy and things like that. I mean, you even have pagans talking about these, their own version of the archetypes and and people like Jack Donovan. That's right. Yeah. Jack Donovan, um, you know, he's, he's addressing it from a a pagan, you know, solar idealist perspective. And then you've got, you know, uh, the Mormons are even talking about this. People like uh, Tanner Guzzi and then Ron Mickler from Order of Man. They're both Mormons, and they're talking about this. You know, Tanner's talking about it with what's called the Twenty One Con, and then Ryan's got a podcast called Order of Man, and they've got this thing called the Iron Council where they talk about this. And but they're kind of approaching it from a, you know, as Mormons. Um, not to say that they don't have some good things to say here and there. They do, uh, and I've been helped by some of the things that they have to say. But you know, uh, some of the only people who are really talking about this from the perspective, you know, from the same camp that we are. I don't know if I'd say same perspective. Um, but you know, from our camp is, you know, uh, Michael Foster, who, you know, I'm acquaintances with, and then, um, you know, people like Vody Bauckham and some of those guys, and I've been really helped by all of them, but we wanted to add one more voice to the conversation, not because what's not, what's been said isn't good, but because it is good. We want to add more content out there for you guys. Oh, another guy too, um, uh, from more of a charismatic type of perspective is John Eldridge with Wild at Heart, a book that I read you know, three years ago now, and I've read re- reread almost ever since then. Really good. Um, you know, another evangelical guy is uh, John uh, Lowell from uh, uh, Warrior Poet Society. You know, there's some guys out there who are talking about this stuff. Um, and John Eldridge has talked about the archetypes and the ideals like we have, but not quite from the perspective that we will. Um, so, but yeah, so that's why we want to have this conversation. It's a conversation happening in our circles, right. and we feel like that we have a unique perspective that we can bring to this topic that will be helpful to those who are listening so all right well so as we wrap up today's overview we want to give a shout out to our friend and sponsor tanner bates from bates leather co man he tanner hooked us up right look at this plague doctor mask brother from down under (laughs) our brother from down (laughs) 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 whatever whatever richie got here uh I gave that to him, and he just sat over there silent for like 10 minutes with that plague doctor mask on. And I was like, wow, you really look like the Mothman. Picture it, will be on our Instagram and in the Sword and Staff Facebook group, so yeah. find it there. Yeah, and then so he made us some really nice just leather, wallets and yeah, keychains and, and all key kinds of stuff. And, you know, uh, coasters. So if you guys are looking for quality, nice uh, leather goods, yeah. uh, go see Tanner at Bates Leather Co. Um, dude is loving, dude is, uh, loving his friends. Yeah. <laughs> he's loving, and he's like a king. 
right? He's ruling over his, his craft, right? And, like, he's, he's killing it. Yep. So go see Tanner. Tanner's doing some good work. So, um, and that's what that's what it's about right there, man. Leveling up and, and giving guys giving guys props. So, all right. Well, Richie, you got anything else to say before we sign off on today's episode? I don't. I just want to again. I just want to encourage everybody. I know that this is a, this is different from stuff we've done. Like I know, but I promise you um, that if you stick in for this episode, you will get something from it. You will learn things that you've never learned before, and I think that you'll be better for it. Even right. if you're, even if you're listening, and if even if you're a female, um, if you have children, or if you have a husband, um, you, this will be something you'll be able to pass along to them, right? And you'll be able to understand them better. You'll be able to understand what they need better as men. And so I, I think just all around, it's going to be, it's going to be a good and helpful thing. So. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Sword and Staff. Next week, we'll be back with a chinwag edition, and um, we'll have some uncut footage coming from the next few episodes that we do on uh, the the masculinity stuff. So if you guys want that, you need to head on over to our Patreon at www.patreon.com backslash Sword and Staff Order. For just $5 a month, you can get the Sword and Staff uncut, and you can get the longer conversations that Richie and I have that we're not going to have in public. There will probably be some weird, sketchy stuff that comes out on on, oh, yeah. on the, the archetypes and stuff that Richie wants to talk about, I'm sure. And uh, But if you want those conversations, you need to, to become a patron. We also have higher tiers that you can uh, you can do, and it comes with more swag the bigger the tier that you get. And so, um, so yeah, if you want those conversations, head on over and become a patron. And so, uh, but next week we'll be back with the chin wag, and then after that, We'll do the episode on the warrior. We'll be going more in depth on the warrior, and we'll do some of the work that we did today. We'll rehash some of it. We'll talk about where we see it in in stories and myths and in comparative stuff, and then we'll also connect it to scripture and talk about how to. Yeah, we're going to get some of these conversations started in the Facebook group. So head on there and join our Facebook group and sort of interact with us on Instagram. Yeah, no doubt. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we hope you guys are excited about where we're headed at this new year because we're, we're excited about it. So, All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. See you then. See you then.